One of the things that I'd really like to see us do more of in the Fox Valley is have our trails plowed because those beautiful winter days when the sun is shining, we've got a, a blanket on the trishaw. They just absolutely, absolutely love it. Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley region. I'm Amy Spreeman, and that audio you just heard was from one of our most listened to podcast episodes of all time. You know, we've had a lot of fun and we've learned so much from the people in our community who've helped us create more than 50 episodes. As podcasts grow in popularity, there are millions of choices, so we're so glad that you've chosen us to listen to. And content-wise, there's a podcast for everything, from crime stories to parenting and medical advice and all hobbies in between. What do you like to listen to? Well, when it comes to our own Voices from the Valley podcast, which has only been around since about the fall of 2021, some favorites are emerging. I looked at our listenership analytics to see what you're downloading, and as a special treat today, we thought we'd share just a little appetizer from each of our top eight episodes so far. So here we go. The eighth most downloaded episode is about a season in life many of us have either experienced or will. Being a caregiver for loved ones who no longer can care for themselves is truly an act of love and selflessness. But it can come at a cost. According to the Alzheimer's Association, more than half, 60% of those caregivers rank their emotional stress as high or very high, and many are suffering from depression. So let's listen to a part of this episode titled, Caregivers, Room for Grace. Everything closed up. There was no resources for caregivers at all because of the pandemic. And I was on my own and it was horrible. I never thought that dementia would be part of our life. My name is Deb Deppes. I live in Greenville, Wisconsin, and I'm the primary caregiver for my husband, Mike. Uh, He's 74 and he was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia about two years ago. Well, my name is George Butts. I live in Appleton. I've been uh, caring for Martha Butts, my wife, for about eight years now. Well, I was noting, noticing um, problems with his memory and just his ability to, to navigate in the car and find his way around and just simple things like he couldn't tie his tie anymore. He couldn't figure out a tip in a restaurant and not earth-shaking things, but things that I knew weren't normal. Eight years ago, I realized that Martha was having problems, so went to doctors, finally got a diagnosis. That's the most difficult thing for most people. That was It was very difficult to uh, get a doctor to say Martha has dementia or hydrocephalus, which she also has. What's happening to Martha through uh, vascular dementia is that her brain is dying, uh, it, and it shrinks as it dies. He would wake up in the middle of the night and start wandering around and he'd be totally confused. He would, about where he was, the prognosis is um, five to seven years after uh, diagnosis is their lifespan. I am here with Jackie Gonzalez. She is the Community Care Coordinator at Mosaic Family Health. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, where this idea for Mosaic's coaching program came from. What inspired it? 
So about five years ago, the Fox Valley was looking at ways that they could enhance the supports for people that were living with memory loss in the community. And um, actually, we got some recognition by the Roslyn and Jimmy Carter Institute, RCI. They actually contacted um, Mosaic Family Health in partnership with Fox Valley Memory Project and asked if we would be willing to be a pilot program for their evidence-based model, which is called REACH. RCI brought the training and the evidence-based model for us to use. And from there, we've, we've moved forward to support caregivers that are living in the community, caring for a loved one with a caregiver coach model. Well, we're going to have all of those episodes and the resource links we feature today on our website, cffoxvalley.org slash podcasts. Well, next at number seven, we looked at a two-year pilot program from the Appleton Police Department and Outagamie County Health and Human Services Department to embed a mental health crisis clinical therapist who is able to immediately respond along with the police to mental health crisis situations. And by the way, those incidents are rising dramatically, so there's a huge need for this. Here's a part of the conversation we had with that community crisis response team in this episode titled Care in Action, Community Crisis Response. I'm Sarah Peterson. I am a clinical therapist with Outagamie County Crisis, and I am embedded here at Appleton Police Department as a part of the Community Crisis Response Team. My name is Christopher Allen. I'm a patrol officer at the City of Appleton. I'm assigned to the Southern District. My name is Adam Nagel. I'm a lieutenant with the Appleton Police Department. Uh, so typically when we get a call for a mental health crisis, um, it, they can come in in multiple different ways. Uh, one of the more common ways is, is someone or a family, someone themselves or a family member asking for help due to potential suicidal ideations, um, mental health struggles, um, potentially an overdose. Uh, with having Sarah on board now, uh, we can have her respond with police officers to help with that initial evaluation and really have a more effective and efficient uh uh, response to these types of calls. I think a lot of times we hear from someone, I want help, but I don't want to go to the hospital. And previously we did our assessments at the hospital. So it was, well, you're going to go to the hospital, you're going to meet with a crisis worker and then we'll decide. And now we can say, we don't want you to go to the hospital either. We'd like to avoid that if possible. So work with us and let's see what we can figure out. So you don't have to go to the hospital because that's probably not going to be beneficial. It's just a Band-Aid. So we're able to make more connections with other resources versus just putting a Band-Aid on it and sending them to the hospital. When we are dealing with these cases, uh, we, I think we have seen an extreme uptick in mental health calls. Um, our suicide numbers have gone up significantly. And truly having someone with mental health training has, has become really a necessary part of our department. Like if there is a high-risk situation, I'm not on scene until we know for sure that it's safe. I have a vest, so I am protected in that way. But also I've worked with these officers, and so I know that they are keeping me safe, and they're not going to ask me to come to a situation that's not safe. Uh, when our SWAT team gets called out or our negotiations team gets called out, that's that's a very volatile situation. That's usually a very dangerous situation involving some kind of weapon or some uh, significant incident. And having her available for those um, types of situations, um, which we you know thankfully haven't dealt with yet, um, um, will be a really great thing in the future. I want to mention that the very collaborative two-year pilot program received a $25,000 grant from the Community Foundation. 
Well, next, we're going to talk about another very popular episode about a very different kind of crisis that is affecting a lot of people in the Fox Valley and around the nation. And that is the lack of child care, which is costing our country $122 billion a year because of lost earnings, productivity, and taxes. For our state in 2018, 50% of Wisconsinites and 70% of Wisconsinites in rural areas lived in a so-called child care desert, which is an area where child care is not available or the number of children exceeds the number of slots open. In our sixth most downloaded episode, we go to Dale, Wisconsin, where two working moms found themselves without child care, and they decided to do something about it. My name is Tiffany Simon, um, and I have three daughters and a husband, and we live in Hortonville, Wisconsin. And I'm Virginia Moss. I also live in Hortonville, and I have almost three daughters due in July. Previously, I had been in an in-home daycare or a family daycare center, and she had given me a year notice in order to find new care. And unfortunately, I couldn't find anywhere. And so I was feeling a little helpless on what I was going to do, and when Tiffany's daycare unexpectedly closed. It wasn't just us that was feeling helpless. It was all of our neighbors. Um, and there was about 75 children that needed care all of a sudden. And so Tiffany texted me and said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, someone has to do something. And by five days later, that someone was us. So our solution was kind of a, a rush decision to buy a building and open a daycare center. Right now, almost six months later, we're at 88 and we still have room to grow. There are challenges just to make sure that you're doing everything up to standards, um, but we've had an immense amount of support from the community, from families, and from like DCF. and Yeah, the Department of Children and Families was very supportive of getting this back open. They know that it's a need, and they were really helpful, along with the Child Care Resource Center in Fox Valley. Um, getting through pre-licensing and licensing as people that have never owned a child care center before was amazing. We got through it in a short amount of time, um, but it wasn't easy. <laughs> so we are paying staff above the state average, and we we just feel like we're treating the staff a little bit differently. As working mothers, we feel like the need for flexibility and schedule, um, accommodations for sick children are all things that are a priority here, and we want staff to feel that on a daily basis. Up next, eCPR help for emotional crisis. In this episode, we're going to talk about a program in the Fox Valley called eCPR, and like CPR, it can be a lifesaver. eCPR is a community education workshop that teaches people how to support another person who's experiencing an emotional crisis. I'm here with Karen and Lynn, who are facilitators of the eCPR movement locally. Thank you so much, Karen and Lynn, for joining us on the podcast. Can you both each introduce yourselves and um, tell us what your role is with the eCPR initiative? So my name is Karen Iverson Riggers. I am one of the eCPR trainers. I've done a lot of work in activism around mental health and kind of shifting our framework breaking stigma, really talking about mental and emotional health. And so love doing this work with eCPR. It is, it is definitely hard work for me. 
I am Lynn McLaughlin. I am grounded in lived experience as well, mental health and substance use, uh, as well as trauma adverse experiences. And when I was introduced to ECPR, I was instantly hooked uh, and became a trainer. And now in the work that we do, being able to hold space for people to be authentic and real um, and show up just as they are is an incredible gift to the person and us. I love that idea of heart work. So what is eCPR and and how might it be different from other um, mental health um, practices? So eCPR is a community health education program that teaches folks how to assist someone in emotional distress or crisis. So a few words to kind of pull out from that definition. One is community and public. This is for everyone. Um, we can all learn how to hold space for folks in emotional distress or crisis because at one time or another, we've all been in emotional distress. The other piece I think we pull out is the word assist. So you'll notice it doesn't say fix, judge, create a plan, give 15 resources. It's really about walking alongside someone. And again, when we say holding space, what we mean by that is creating a really present moment of listening to allow for whatever thoughts and emotions are flowing to be there without judgment, to just really be. I think it's really important to pull out to the difference between thinking and feeling. So we are 100% in the realm of emotion. And oftentimes the remedy for experiencing motion is think your way out of it. And the reality is that pushes it aside. So it does that suppression piece rather than allowing for just natural human emotion. And granted, you know, it's it's a juggling act, right? Something that I have recognized in doing ECPR work is when I am shifting from emotion to thought. And all of those pieces of recognition are, they're really fascinating and fun and healing and transformative. And uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a break and be right back with the rest of our top eight. It's the last half of the school year. That means it's scholarship application time. The Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region has more than $1 million in scholarships available to high school seniors, college, and non-traditional students. The money comes from scholarship funds created by people, businesses, and organizations who are passionate about education. Applications are open right now. Deadlines begin mid-February. Visit cffoxvalley.org slash scholarships to learn more. I'm Kurt Dachin, President and CEO of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. Our community of caring donors, nonprofits, and volunteers work together to make this a place where all can flourish. Your Community Foundation is a reflection of this spirit. In 2022, more than $40 million in grants were given to nonprofits to drive their missions. I offer my sincere thanks to each of you for your strong support of our community and our unique mission to make it better. Learn more at cffoxvalley.org. My son ended up with stitches in his head twice because of that man. I just had enough. I didn't have anything at that point anymore, so there was really no reason to stay. But I didn't know how to get out. 
You just heard the voice of a local survivor of domestic violence. In our fourth Most Listened To podcast, we lift up voices of survivors from our area and the hope offered by some crucial nonprofits in our area, like Harbor House Domestic Abuse Programs. Here's a snippet of Hope and Help. And I talked back and I got beat up many, many times. I actually have a scar in my knee from one day when I was on the phone with a classmate talking about a school project. And my drunk dad told me to hang up the phone, and I didn't. My dad pulled the surface-mounted PVC pipes off the wall, and he beat me with them. While my friend from school listened on the other end of the line. I was afraid he would find me. He said he'd kill me if I ever left him. He even told me how. He started uh, target shooting, and he showed me the gun, and he put the target on my side of the bed, and he would do this every week. Look how good I'm getting. I didn't think I would see another birthday. These are the voices from video soundbites and shared with permission from Harbor House Domestic Abuse Programs, a nonprofit organization we partner with closely. Harbor House is a partner agency of the United Way Fox Cities, and for 30 years it has been committed to understanding the breadth of domestic abuse and victims' evolving needs in the Fox Valley. Yes, Harbor House is a singular agency for domestic violence in Calumet and Outagamie counties. It is a myth that we only serve women here and women and children. We serve anyone experiencing domestic violence. One in seven people will experience domestic violence. And I think the other thing that's important to talk about right off the bat is that domestic violence is not just someone hitting somebody. It is a pattern of power and control, and it can often look, never be seen. It's not physical, and nor can you see a bruise. It can be financial or emotional or manipulation and all sorts of things. So don't ever doubt that this can be happening to you because you're not being hit. The other thing that we um, have seen through all of this is that the court systems are extremely behind. So whether that be criminal or civil. And so there were a lot of people during the whole process who are seeking us to say, what are my options? Court's not an option for me. I can't get into family court. I can't, I can't deal with custody placement issues. I still want to, you know, leave or potentially I want to figure out how do I safely stay in the meantime. I think we've seen, too, that there are very few or less options of places for people to go. The housing market has absolutely played into all of that. So I think we've had a lot more within outreach. Our advocates are really supporting clients on a longer-term basis who maybe can't necessarily leave their situation, but are trying to figure out ways to cope through it. I think the other thing that's important to talk about is that things that in the past that might have built up over six or 12 or 18 months are now happening in really compressed timeframes. So violence is escalating quicker. So the seriousness of things, I think is also driving up numbers. It's like, this, this can't go on. It's, it's more apparent more quickly. Up next, we take you to our own backyard for our third most listened to episode. When we created Voices from the Valley, it was never intended to be about tooting our own horn, but we did make one exception to that rule when we talked about the Community Foundation, what we are, and what we do around here. We called this episode Our Story, and it was our very first one. 
Hi, Amy, and thanks for doing this. Our Community Foundation got started in 1986. Now, I wasn't part of the Community Foundation at that time, but we're here today with a couple of folks who were, um, and I'd like to introduce them. Uh, first of all, we have Shar Sigmund. Hi, Shar. Morning. Shar and her husband, Bob, not only started one of the first charitable funds in the Community Foundation, but Shar was one of the first board members back in 1986 that helped the Community Foundation get off to such a great start. And also with me is our dear friend, Walt Rugland, whose father, Walt Rugland Sr., helped launch the Community Foundation. Welcome, Walt. Hi there. So, Walt, why don't we start with you? You and your dad were having conversations back in the 80s, and he was the one who uh, introduced the Community Foundation concept in the Fox Valley. Uh, sure. Uh, having grown up in Appleton, uh, I ended up going to work in the 60s in Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, followed. Uh, everybody asked me why I became an actuary, and I said I, I always said I didn't have the courage not to be one. So my dad and I would continually, he would pump me all the time for what was going on in the life insurance business from my point of view and uh, would tell me where I was wrong as well as tell me where I was progressing. And we once in a while would talk about the communities. So I kept talking to him about what was going on in Hartford. And one of the things that I found was very interesting was that the uh, Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, which was a local community foundation, which had been organized in the 1920s, was really the keystone to the success of the community at that time because of these legacy gifts that had been left by the founders of all the insurance companies. And these were basically unrestricted funds that had been left by the founders. And uh, it was kind of a club. They, they basically all signed up and left their uh, a big part of their fortunes to the community. He would tell me what was happening with the family ownership in Appleton and the Fox Cities, and I would lament about it, and he did too. And I say, you, you really need to uh, set up something like the uh, Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. When the uh, his successor at the Aid Association decided to uh, create a community award uh, for leadership, and they named it after him, and they put a $5,000 stipend as a reward for uh, recognition, which was a big number at that time. I think that was a meaningful amount of money. He went back and asked them if they would use that money and whatever else was required to uh, basically give him a place to uh, locate and give him some help, and he would try to set up a community foundation. So the uh, the origin started with Walt back in the mid 80s and the organization needed to come together. And I love the story that the initial board of directors was comprised of people who responded to an advertisement in the Post Crescent asking for their participation, being part of the first board of directors. Now, Shar, you were part of that original board. Tell us what it was like. What, what were you thinking back then? It was an idea that we had heard about. We had seen the article in the paper asking for volunteers, and it was at a time that we were about to leave on a trip and uh, uh, didn't respond to it. So we went on our trip, and I received a phone call from uh, Don Hurling, who was starting to put together the names of people who had either volunteered or been suggested. And I guess I had been suggested to be on this board. And uh, he invited me to participate as a board member. I immediately said yes, because I felt this was yet another way I could give back to this wonderful community in which we live because it had been so good to us. 
Coming in at number two of our popular podcasts is one titled Inclusion in the Outdoors. You know, the Fox Valley has an abundance of great parks, trails, and waterways to get us outside and enjoying nature year-round. You might be surprised to learn that not every member of our community feels safe or welcomed in our outdoor spaces, especially people who are considered historically marginalized. Take a listen. I've um, been on the receiving end of a lot of hate words, you know, hateful words. So verbal aggression, derogatory terms yelled at me with, you know, somebody driving by in a pickup truck, pointing their, their hand like a gun at me saying, die. People up in my face asking me if I'm an effing man or woman, you know, so there are times like that where I obviously don't feel safe. It's just that I never know when I'm going to encounter somebody, you know, who steps over the line so far with aggression that I just don't know what their neck, where they're going to stop. In this episode, we're going to learn more about why not everyone has the same access to positive outdoor experiences and what's being done about it. Joining us in the co-host chair today is Kyle Armstrong. Kyle comes to us having spent the summer working to better understand the state of outdoor inclusion in the Fox Cities. He was actually the leader of the Inclusion in the Outdoors initiative, a project the foundation played a key role in creating and that Kyle is continuing to lead today. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks, Carolyn. Uh, I should introduce myself a bit. I'm a lifelong Nina farm boy who wandered off a bit before returning and, as you said, um, served as an AmeriCorps member researching how the Fox Cities can better include BIPOC, that's Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, and LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people in outdoor spaces and activities. And it's appropriate that we're co-hosting this episode because you've played such a big part in nurturing this project. Well, thanks, Kyle. It's been eye-opening to be a part of this project. Listeners, before we come back to the voices of community, I'm actually going to ask Kyle a few questions about what he learned researching the issue of inclusion in the outdoors. So Kyle, can you summarize what that research looked like and what some of your biggest takeaways were? Yeah, so Inclusion in the Outdoors was organized as a project with an AmeriCorps grant, and it was hosted at the Brigade in Nina. Um, The main question that I was tasked with answering was, why do members of marginalized groups, including BIPOC, LGBTQ+, and folks with disabilities, utilize outdoor spaces and partake in outdoor activities less than the general population? And I tried to answer that question through uh, interviews, focus groups, and a survey. Um, And so some of my takeaways involve just the totality of prejudice in this country and the impact that that has on people, coupled with some surprises among the overlooked stories of people who defied and, and are still defying those odds to find joy and success in the outdoors. More specifically to the project, uh, there are a few big takeaways. One is that cultural narratives shape how we interact with the world. If you're told over and over again through education and advertising that outdoor spaces are dangerous or that parks belong to other people or that you're not the type of person who should be hiking, well, you're probably going to develop other interests or stay indoors. That sounds intuitive, but those narratives often go unchallenged until we step back and look for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you give an example of one of those narratives? Well, take a moment to imagine an outdoorsy person in your mind. Perhaps you've pictured a white man and a masculine, able-bodied one at that, because that's the kind of person our country has included in narratives of outdoor spaces over the years. Think of Paul Bunyan, cowboy movies, famous conservationists, or old L.L. Bean catalogs. Uh, Another takeaway is that safety 
is a critical concern for people from marginalized groups. It's been disheartening to hear black and brown and queer and trans people tell me their constant fears of being harassed or worse and the lengths they go to to avoid what they perceive as dangerous places or situations. Uh, A black man told me he doesn't get out of his car in rural towns for fear of being profiled. A trans woman told me she always keeps a knife with her when camping to defend against transphobic assailants. And when we listen to their experiences and look at the history of oppression in this country, we see that they have good reasons for those fears. What can be done to lower barriers and create a Fox Cities region where all people feel fully welcomed in our outdoor spaces? Well, there is a 2022 research report called Inclusion in the Outdoors that will give you a deeper understanding of the challenges many of our neighbors face and recommendations for what can be done about it. The Community Foundation has supported Inclusion in the Outdoors from the beginning and continues to fund the project through a $15,000 grant from the Community Vision Fund. The full story and links on our show notes today. And finally, the number one most downloaded Voices from the Valley episode. We talked about the work being done behind the scenes to connect our Fox Valley through a network of trails that up until a few years ago were not really connected. You'll want to stay tuned for some exciting news in the months ahead about projects that we're supporting, like the plan to connect the Fox Cities to and from High Cliff State Park, a plan to rebuild and improve the Jefferson Park Trail in Menasha, and a few off-road trails in the works in the village of Harrison. So many great projects and special attention is being paid to how to make our walking and biking trails accessible for all. In our number one trails episode, an episode of all time, we talked about how a number of programs in our area are making a difference for people who might not otherwise have the ability to access these trails. Here's a part of this popular episode titled Trails Connecting Communities. I'm 82 years old and enjoying life yet. (laughs) Eileen Rutten is taking a ride in the open air, something many seniors don't always get to do. That's nice when you don't have to do the pedaling because otherwise you get sore legs. (laughs) (laughs) We caught up with Eileen as she and her friend Colleen were arriving back to the Menasha Senior Center. They'd spent a drizzling morning last week taking in the fall colors from their two-seater trishaw, piloted by Michelle Bacchus. My name is Michelle Bacchus. I work for the Wisconsin Bike Fed here out of the Fox Valley. Last week, we had some fall color rides in Menasha at the Senior Center. And oh, it's just beautiful colors. We were down by Loop the Lake and took passengers across the trestles. The leaves were changing and the air was crisp and people just really enjoyed being out there and being part of the community. Oh, I'd love to do this again. This is fun. A, a tri-shop for the Cycling Without Age program is a three-wheeled pedal bicycle or a tricycle. So between those two wheels in the front is a bench seat, kind of like a couch. And then the pilot sits up higher and behind them on the back. It really helps well-being. Um By getting people out who normally just spend their day in their room, it reduces isolation and improves connectivity to the community. Cycling Without Age makes the trails in the Fox City so inclusive. It's really been a blessing and a fantastic part of the program to see people who used to play in these fields or used to play along the edge of the water, and they can't access it anymore because of mobility issues. Now they can. An important part of what we're doing is to help 
those who are underrepresented really feel like they're part of the community. You can't find a better way to feel like you're part of something than if you're out there just immersing yourself in it. And that's really what the Trishaws do. We, we're friends. Uh, we met here at the Senior Center. So we have a good time together. When can we do it again? <laughs> <laughs> Next, we take you up the road to Heckrot Wetland Reserve, where recent construction projects are opening up new possibilities for people with challenges of any kind, from financial to physical. It's a learning opportunity in the trees. So we are going to become experts on the critters that live beneath our feet. We're always looking for the populations that maybe people aren't thinking about, that aren't included simply because they're not thought of. So once we start thinking of them and think about HECROT and what we have the ability to do and accomplish here at our facility and purposely expand that like we did reaching out to SOAR, that's when it gets really exciting. That's when the dreams start happening because you're just asking people, what would you like to do? And let them fill in the blank and then we service their needs. It's it's incredible. I'm Janelle Jung. I'm around 23 years old and I love Hedrick because I get to see how many different animals there are. Keep looking down. Good job. So this looks like a worm, but with many, 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 many legs. Can I see? Yeah, That's a millipede. It is exactly right. It is a millipede. Nice job. Nice. There are so many ways people are getting involved in these projects, from generous donors who are supporting these projects financially, to local leaders and environmental specialists who are rolling up their sleeves to talk about the best way to improve trails in the Fox Valley. $19 million in trail construction is planned in the Fox Cities over the next three years. Now, last year, a Fox Cities Trail Summit organized by the nonprofit Fox Cities Greenways and the East Central Wisconsin Regional Planning Commission was funded by a grant within the Community Foundation. That's right, Amy. And I recently sat down with someone who spoke at that trail summit, Jason Brozek, the Stephen Edward Scarf Professor of International Affairs and Associate Professor of Government at Lawrence University. Um, there's this concept of 8 to 80 cities. It's referring to an age range that people should be able to ride around a city independently and safely from the time they're about eight to the time they're about 80. If you can design a city where eight-year-olds and 80-year-olds both feel comfortable walking and cycling on the streets, you've designed a sort of an accessible, livable city. Um, there's also this work that um, city planners and city officials need to do. One of them is making, right, really thinking about accessibility of meetings and, and outreach and whose voices are are missing, that when you host public input sessions at uh, 3 p.m. on a Tuesday, who doesn't have access to that? Who doesn't, who doesn't feel like their voices are, right, are welcome in a situation like that? But it's also about the, um, the diversity of organizations, right? Who, if, there's a, if there's a Hmong speaker who has some, some thoughts on trails and access, right, is there someone in, in the office who can, uh, who can speak to that person in, in their, their own language? Um, so it's about the, the diversity of organizations. It's about the accessibility um, and the, the active pursuit of missing voices in the decision-making process. And for me, it's really about building this infrastructure because it's the right thing to do. Um, and not as a response to uh, to demand.
Well, you've just heard our eight most popular episodes, and there are so many more on our website for you to download and share. Just visit cffoxvalley.org slash podcasts. There you can subscribe and get all of our episodes delivered to you wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley region. Thank you.